0: And welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me on board.
0: Yeah, it's um, I'm super stoked about this. Uh, so first of all, I'm going to tell everybody how we met. So I, so I'm the daughter of a former mechanic. Uh, he is a bower. Uh, he trained me how to fish before I could walk. Uh, so I grew up, you know, in a kind of blue collar trades-oriented uh, family in terms of my my father. Um, since then, I've taken a huge interest in, I mean, I've been working in technology for 25 years, and I decided, wouldn't it be cool if it was easier to buy stuff from Canadian artisans? So I started joining all these Facebook groups, and one of the groups that I joined is the Canadian Blacksmiths and Bladesmiths group. And I started talking with you guys there, and what was very interesting is that you guys are so nice. I was shocked to see how much of these dudes I really a got got along with and welcomed me into part of the group. So you are a blacksmith.
1: Uh, that's right, yeah. And uh, I'm. I guess the nice thing is just the Canadian thing, as far as I as far as I see it. That's just ca- Canada for you. <laughs> But uh, yeah,
0: it's a. Uh, and let's tell everybody where you're at. You're up in uh, Manitoba, right?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, in Winnipeg, Manitoba right now. I've been in Winnipeg for the last 20, 20 years now. I'm born and raised in Flin Flon, Manitoba, which is about a nine hour drive north of here. Uh, small ma- uh, mining community where uh, we gold, uh, gold mine and uh, mine for copper as well. And uh, yeah, I kind of grew up there with uh, the whole community working around metal my whole life. And then I moved to Winnipeg for, uh, for computers and technology, actually. (laughs) Uh, So
0: we're kind of in the same worlds then. I mean, in a way.
1: Yeah. It's it's kind of interesting. The, uh, the take here you've got on things right now. Um, And you mentioned to me how you're, you're looking into the whole, the world of trades now with where life is taking you. And I, I wish I would have gone down that road right out of high school. I don't know why I didn't. Um, I think the almighty dollar kind of spoke to me more than my heart. And uh, I went into computer programming thinking that that was going to be the, uh, the almighty thing for me that was going to set the world off fire for me. And uh, a few months into it, I was like, nope, not, not what I want to do at all. Uh, And it was a few years later, I uh, was working for a, uh, An insurance company, actually, we did uh, repairs on houses that had floods or fires in them. And the uh, gentleman that I was working with told me he had gone to school for welding and he was kind of working at this place as a favor for his friend because his friend owned the company. And uh, me and him were working together for almost a year. And then he finally convinced me to try going into school for welding. So I applied for school for welding. And I don't look back on it for two seconds. And it's one of the smartest decisions I've ever made in my life. I love every every minute of uh being in the shop and being behind a welder and everything that I've learned that goes along with it. Uh <clears throat> the, the person that I've grown into versus the person that I used to be, uh, I couldn't be prouder.
0: So I'm just curious, how old are you now?
1: I'm 39 now. I actually just thirty nine. Yeah, I just had my 39th birthday a couple of weeks ago.
0: Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. Um, And how old were you when you actually decided to leave tech and go into welding?
1: I would have been 20.
0: Okay, so you weren't actually that old then. No. Because that's that's what's curious is that uh, – it, it, and it's funny that you say that because I actually – I ended up going to, like, university, like, seven times and dropping out. And finally, I went into tech because that was, like, the 90s when things were still yeah. hot. You know, the salaries, like you said, people were, like, getting bonuses like crazy. So it just made sense. And my whole adult life, I was like, man, I should be, like, a welder or a carpenter or something, you know, just – kept calling me, kept calling me. And uh, eventually, you know, I ended up with um, like a disability, like two years ago, lost the ability to walk. And, and now I'm like, Oh, man, it's too late. Because in a way, you know, I'm like, ah, I don't think I can do this an- anymore. The point being is that you were able to finally do the thing that you love.
1: Right? You just say that, Yeah. 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 I mean, there's other things in life that I could love more than being behind a mask all day long laying beads like maybe laying on a beach all day long sipping margaritas but
0: it's a lot of physical work though I guess is what I'm getting at is that it's a it's a trade it's a career choice that unlike coding at a computer where you can do no matter whether or not you can walk or, or whatever it's something that's physical like this is gonna you know I've seen what it, it's done to my dad's hands for example.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, there's so many different facets um, with welding, with metalworking. I mean, um, I consider jewelry, uh, it's a part of metalworking. I consider putting up a skyscraper part of metalworking. They go, they're in the same field. Um, You're playing with metal. What a jeweler does is obviously a lot more intricate, but um you, you're you're playing with metal you have to understand metal and um what a jeweler does in my eyes is absolutely mind-boggling and what iron workers do when they're erecting 100 story size skyscrapers is absolutely mind-boggling to me <laughs> and then there's so much in between um the guys on the oil patches the guys in fab shops that's 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 where i was for the majority of my life i was a guy in a fab shop and now uh for the last 12 years i've been in research and development working for new flyer um, bus manufacturing uh, and that has been kind of uh an eye-opener to industry for me because i haven't been just a welder for them i've been doing y- you name it anything that you could think of when it comes to bus manufacturing i've been involved in now pretty much for the last 12 years and Um, there's, there's so many different things you can get into when it comes to trades, working with your hands. Um, you know, the guys that I see that are working in the manufacturing plant, there's about 800 different people working in there and you go from guys that are crawling all over all day long on their hands and knees up on ladders, doing structural work, down to guys that are at a, they're at a bench all day long because they're assembling assembling smaller parts and they they get to sit in a booth all day long and run a tig welder and um you you talk to a lot of welders and the tig welding booth is that is where it's at okay <laughs> <laughs> so
0: everybody wants to get on that that bench then
1: yeah it's it's the gravy train
0: <laughs> <laughs> so if you were i, I mean I, I obviously didn't end up studying the trades it's something i want to Kind of pick up as a hobby later on. I want to do like woodworking. I want to start wood carving and and who knows what else. Um, but when you're studying something like welding, how like, do they teach you all the, the different roles, or do they really just kind of form you in the basics of welding, and then you really kind of decide what you want to do after?
1: Well, see for me, I I, I think I got pretty lucky with what I uh, fell into um, at the time. Of my life that I went into school, things were a little bit haywire for me, and I was able to take the evening course at a local community college. Um, there was two different, well, there was a few different options for me for welding in Winnipeg here, but the two main ones that stuck out were Red River College, which was actually a two-year course, or I could go to a school um, formerly known as Winnipeg South Tech, which is now called Manitoba Institution of Technology. Um, and I went to Winnipeg Self Tech in their evening course, which was a 10-month program that focused on all aspects of welding and gave you your first level uh, apprenticeship. The Red River College program did the same thing. It focused on all levels of welding, and you walked out of there with your first level uh, apprenticeship, but it was a two-year program. Just speaking to different people, I came to the conclusion that the one-year program would give me essentially the same thing the two-year program would do why go for two years when you can do it in one year looking back i wish i would have done the two-year program instead because there's so much to learn it is (laughs) crazy and if you can take the time to learn take the time to learn i had the time when i was that age i could have taken five years if i wanted to to have been in school and i really really wish i would have because i'm 39 years old now i've got a five-year-old daughter she's almost five Five-year-old daughter at home, a uh, wife that runs her own business, and things are hectic here, man. For me to leave my day job to try to go and uh, go back to school, not happening right now. So. Interesting. I, I, and I'm trying to run my own side business on top of all that, right? Like, I've got my full-time day job, and I've also got the uh, Abstract Blacksmith as my side project uh, that I run evenings and weekends. Yeah. Yeah running on four hours of sleep here and there pretty much most of the time. <laughs>
0: yeah, I bet. Um, let's talk about that that stuff, the uh, abstract blacksmith on Instagram. People can follow you at abstract underscore blacksmith. Um, so I'm curious, for blacksmithing, I have a bunch of stupid questions for you. So let's get down to the basics here. Uh, first of all, do you need a welding background to do blacksmithing or is that completely separate? Hell no,
1: definitely not. I mean, it helps a lot, helps a ton, but I you can walk into blacksmithing not knowing a thing. Okay. Yeah.
0: So you don't need to have any basic skills. You don't even need to be handy.
1: No, no. In fact, there's a part of me that feels you're better off walking into it empty-handed, almost not having um, preconceived ideas.
0: Okay. See, the the only preconceived ideas that I have about blacksmithing is from video games. So maybe I have a very, you know, unrealistic um, impression of what blacksmiths do. But I have the picture of like the big dude with like the leather um, apron, like hammering on top of an anvil, a red hot piece of metal. Is that pretty accurate?
1: <laughs> For the most part, that's a... That's what a blacksmith does. I mean, it doesn't have to be a big dude. I've seen um, one of my most favorite blacksmiths that I follow. Oh, my goodness. Her name is slipping my mind now. I want to say her name is Anne. Um, No, Katie. Her name is Katie, and she's out of the UK. What an amazing artist. This girl can put out the most beautiful artwork I've ever seen in my life. And she is, from what I can see in her pictures, she is a tiny little framed girl, man. Tiny. And she's putting out work that I'm envious of, to say the least. I'm going
0: to have to check that out then. Yeah. KV Art. Um, because, what's
1: sorry. your name, sorry? KV Artist Blocksmith. KV? That's right.
0: KV Artist. Okay, let me write that down here. Um, because do you have to be, like, strong? I guess, I mean, I- I've heard you have to, like, be strong enough for the hammer no um
1: depends it really depends i mean it depends what you want to be making right um i want to i want to build myself a big arbor for my front yard that's requiring me to work with a bunch of one inch round bar which in the lengths that i'm working it on it requires a fair amount of strength um i mean it's not the, like I would say if you're doing industrial welding you you have to be a strong guy if you want to do industrial blacksmithing you got to be a strong guy there's like I said there's different facets to all of it you go into the industrial side of things yeah you got to be a big dude or or a big girl uh either there's girls out there that can swing sledgehammers like you wouldn't believe man holy moly but um yeah you want to go into the artist side of things there's Definitely a huge open door to people of all ages, all sizes. Um, there is a gentleman, um GL Tongs, I think is his name. I want to say. He's working out of Indonesia, I think. He literally is sitting on his deck. He's got a little tiny forge and he sits all day long. That's how he blacksmiths. He sits all day long and he barely moves his forges right there his anvil's right in front of him and he makes oh gs tongs that's the guy gs tongs he's another amazing blacksmith that uh he actually was one of the first guys i ever started following because he has excellent videos on youtube explaining how to get into the uh the first kind of steps of what you want to be building like your tongs your punches and stuff like that when it comes into blacksmithing
0: so you build your own tools
1: Uh, I have built almost everything Uh, you can see behind me right in the shop here yeah yeah so I have built almost everything this big metal frame thing that's my press behind me Um, you can probably see down there is my tong rack almost all those tongs on that rack were built by me Um, this anvil it was a nice big 400 pound anvil I built the stand for that and a lot of the tools that are around that I've built as well
0: Um it's really really interesting guys Uh for people who are who are listening what's interesting is that because you know this this podcast is audio only but what's cool is that Lando is actually joining me right from directly from his shop so I can actually see all the cool stuff in the background and I mean the anvil he, he just pointed at is gigantic
1: 408 pounds I've I've had some bigger ones in the shop and I've uh I've seen even larger than what I've ever had uh it, it's a mediocre size anvil to say the least okay, to- mediocre for you <laughs> yeah.
0: um, um but so you made the anvil?
1: No, the anvil I, I I didn't make the anvil itself. The anvil itself is a it's a Peter Wright anvil from England, made in England, but I I had to custom make the stand for it and a lot of the tooling that goes for it Um, there's a lot of tools that go with it that look like hammers that aren't hammers. They're called top tools and they're actually meant to hold on top of a hot piece that, that, that hammer looking tool isn't actually struck with another hammer. And that way it indents its impression, whatever shape that impression might be, whether it's a round of a certain size or a triangle of a certain size will help imprint that impression onto the hot steel. Um, So a, a prime example of one of those tools would be to have a corresponding bottom tool with it. That's called your swage tool. Say, for example, I'm working on two inch round bar and I want to retain that two inch round. I've lost that shape for whatever reason through my forging. I would use a two inch round bottom swage, a two inch top tool as well. Cup the hot piece of steel between those two and then either use the appropriate uh, device in my shop, like my press or a power hammer, or I would have a gentleman along with me, or it could be a, a lady as well that does the striking for it. I haven't had the opportunity to work with any females in my shop. Unfortunately, uh, the door is wide open. If there's anybody that ever wants to learn, I'm, I, I, I push through pe- people through here like crazy. I'm always bringing in, in uh, new people to learn. So.
0: Well, I gotta say, if we were in the same city, I think I'd definitely take you up on that offer. <laughs> um, I would love but to. It's, uh, it's It's interesting because um none of what you said really made sense to me. and and I say that only because there are so many weird names, right? I mean, I don't know any of these tools. Uh, how so first of all, how did you learn? Did you learn uh, blacksmithing specifically from like a course or did you learn from like YouTube videos?
1: Um, okay, my blacksmithing um, was an obsession for me. So that's essentially why I learned it. I've been approached by a few people asking that same question. Like, how did you do this? And how did you get into it so deep and so fast and blah, blah, blah. As I honestly lived, eat, breathe blacksmithing for, I don't know, three years. I, every book I read was blacksmithing. Every YouTube video I watched was blacksmithing. Um, I didn't, I don't watch television, Um, I have, uh, uh, hate relationship for televisions, uh, and anything attached to that other than, uh, educational content. Uh, I absolutely love discovery channel. I really wish I could subscribe to just discovery channel for my, uh, my cable broadcasting, but, but yeah, so (laughs) it, it was YouTube, a ton of YouTube, um, a ton of books. Um, I took a course, it was a very simple course I took at a place called Cloverdale Forge. It's, uh, with Matt Jenkins, he's a local blacksmith here in Winnipeg. He's a world-renowned blacksmith um, himself, and his I think I, I think they're married. His wife, Rudy, <laughs> um, him and his um, better half, Rudy, uh, host courses at their um, their forge out near Selkirk, Manitoba. Uh, they normally host about I think ten different classes a year. But with COVID, they haven't been able to for the last couple of years, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, that's put a big dent on people getting their education around here. But, yeah, that's that's how yeah. I learned was YouTube, books, and Matt Jenkins.
0: Nice. Yeah, my dad is a... Is, is, uh uh, similarly obsessed with, uh, bow, bow making essentially. So he's, he's always told me now, now he just tells me, he's like, Julie, if you ever want to learn anything, just go to YouTube, you know, cause I, I, I was, you know, fixing a toilet the other day. And I was, he was like, I was like, dad, what do I do? He's like, go to YouTube. <laughs> so, you know, um, COVID thankfully we, we have YouTube that we can learn on during COVID. It's, it's awesome. Um, but like, what are the costs, you know, when you're first starting out, is it super expensive?
1: oh geez that really depends how you want to go about it um i had a discussion with a gentleman actually just the other day about that he said you know how can i do this what's the cheapest way i can get into blacksmithing the cheapest way you can go into blacksmithing is go dig a hole in your backyard dig a trench to that hole put a metal pipe down in that hole or in that trench, sorry, bury bury the pipe. Well, you don't even have to bury the pipe, honestly. Put the, put a pipe down there, hook up that pipe to your blow dryer, go buy a bag of charcoal from the Canadian Tire or local hardware store, start a fire in that hole with the charcoal, and you've got yourself a forge. It's powered by your blow dryer. That will get hot enough to melt steel, literally melt steel. If you're not careful and you put a piece of steel in there and you're not watching it, you, you, you'll go to pull it out and... the the end of the piece of steel that was in the fire will be missing. Um, Yeah, you can can watch how that happens. As it happens, you can uh, pull your steel out and inspect it as it's heating up, and as it's reaching that melting point, it'll start to sparkle. That's how, as a blacksmith, you know your steel is at the right temperature to get a proper forge weld is once it's reached that sparkling temperature. Uh, There's ways to go beyond that. You don't have to bring it up to the sparkling temperature to achieve a forge weld. But uh, yeah, that's, um, that's essentially telling you that your metal is at that melting point. So I mean, you start off with that for your forge. Um, Everyone's got rail yards, rail tracks lying around everywhere. All you need is a small piece of railroad track, say a foot long. Um, Don't steal. One
0: <laughs> yeah, please don't. <laughs> because
1: and the reason I say that, you talk to one of the guys that work at the rail yards, you might not find it on the first guy, but ask around, man. You're somebody will literally give you a piece, or it might cost you 20 bucks. There's so many blacksmith guys around that have railroad track lying around in their shop because it's it is actually a good steel to use for um for tools and stuff like that as well. So you start off with, uh, you got your free forge in the ground. Well, what did it cost you, uh, 15 bucks for a bag of charcoal. And you maybe had to go to the, uh, thrift stop, uh, thr- thrift store and buy yourself a, uh, uh, blow dryer for five bucks. So you're in 20 bucks now for digging yourself a little, uh, forge, you get your $20, uh, railroad, uh, track for, uh, anvil. And then you stop at your uh, your local Princess Auto and you buy buy yourself a hammer for ten bucks. And oh, by the way, uh, railroad spikes. Everyone loves to play with railroad spikes. And you talk to the same guy that gave you the railroad track. He'll probably give you a couple railroad spikes to start off with. You can start off with a pair of pliers. You don't need a pair of tongs. Um, Princess Auto actually just had a deal on. You can get a really janky pair of tongs through them for seven bucks. I think it was. So I mean, yeah. yeah. 50 bucks and uh yeah start playing with metal and and see where it goes there see if you like it um you want to step up your game beyond that and get yourself a, a actual forge you can start searching around on marketplace you'll find a forge like a hand um like an outdoor coal forge you can find one of those with a hand crank on it usually about two four hundred dollars in that range for a for a hand hand crank forge you can go to princess auto you can buy a propane forge from princess auto now that's made by uh, my uh, my buddy uh, mighty forge he's out of uh, British Columbia so they're uh locally supported Canadian company i ha- highly recommend them they build awesome forges and they're selling out of princess auto they've got two different models they've got a single burner and a three burner i think i think this just
0: for is... my just for my american listeners um can they get that or is it only at... Because I think Princess Auto is only Canadian, right?
1: Princess Auto is only Canadian. You can order uh, you know, to the States from Princess Auto, but Princess Auto has its equivalent in the United States, well-known as its uh, equivalent is Harbor Freight. Oh, okay. Now, Great. Great. I, I've never personally visited a Harbor Freight, so I don't know what they carry as far as forages, but I know there's, there's a ton of companies out there building forages. Um Couple of names I could rattle off is uh, Devil's Forge is one of them. Um, yeah, well, that's that, that's the one that comes to mind for sure. In Canada, I know there's there's Mighty Forge. There's Sean Cunningham out of Front Step Forge in uh, Edmonton. He builds forges as well. There's those two those two companies that I highly recommend. Um, and, and for those you're you're looking upwards of five hundred dollars between five to a thousand dollars for a good propane forge. There. Are, are companies i think devil forge is one of them actually that sells it for quite a bit cheaper but then then you're getting into a quality issue and i think you're best off to be looking at if you're going to get into it seriously and when you're buying a propane forge are getting into it seriously spend the five hundred 500 plus at least i would say okay um,
0: so essentially a beginner can start like you said diy under 100 bucks start to play a little bit, learn how to bend metal, maybe, you know, just the very basics and then they can uh, up their budget and go, you know, spend a couple thousand and get like a decent setup and start doing it out of their, can you do it in a closed garage or you have to leave the door open? How how does that work?
1: Well, so I don't really recommend doing a coal forge indoors. There's a, bit of a fire hazard to that uh, unless you have the proper setup for it with uh, the hood and the exhaust and whatnot. So don't go running a coal forge in your garage thinking that an open door is going to be good enough. I I really don't think that that's a good idea. There is quite a bit of smoke that comes from a coal forge. a charcoal forge can throw a lot of sparks at times. So again, not smart to run charcoal. And there, I don't know if you know that the difference between coal and charcoal. Charcoal is um, can be a man-made product, easily made by man. You can do it in your backyard by burning wood in a barrel and creating an oxygen-free environment for the wood to burn in and you'll create charcoal. Coal is something you have to dig out of the ground and there are various grades of coal as well. So depending on the grade of coal, it's going to affect how that coal burns um, and there's different fire management you have to do with coal as well to ensure that it burns properly. I I so highly recommend going to propane and just forgetting about all of that, but at the same time, (laughs) there's things with propane that you're losing out on with coal as well. The like coal is going to achieve a much higher temperature, much easier than propane will. Um, but my, I run my propane forge here in the shop. Um, you might see it here in the background. It was something that I made myself. That's my forge okay, yeah. there. It looks like a box on a pipe, right? Like It
0: does. Yeah,
1: with some hoses going into it. That's essentially, It's a brick forge. I went to a local construction company, bought a bunch of fire brick that's rated for... 3000 degrees Fahrenheit, I believe um, built a square structure with those fire bricks and plumbed in a burner into the top of it. And then I came up with this janky um, idea of adding a blower to that, which is not the normal way of setting up a propane forge. Normally they are ran either a, a similar setup with this, with the pro- propane blown straight into the uh, blower. Or there's a venturi setup. Well, I had the venturi set up, and it wasn't working, so I added a blower, and that just kind of created a magical situation for me that I haven't turned back from since. I wow. learned all of that on YouTube. Again, YouTube. Yeah, that. that I was just
0: about to ask. I yeah. was. I was like, that's uh, that seems like really, really really handy. And also today I learned there's such a thing as fire bricks. I had no idea that was a thing.
1: And so... there's different the different grades of fire brick too. Yeah uh most people go to the canadian tire uh, or ukrainian Tire, as we like to call it and uh (laughs) pick themselves up a couple fire bricks from the ukrainian tire and throw together themselves a forge and after the first couple burns they find that their bricks are melting and it looks like freaking (laughs) green glass on the inside of their uh on on the inside of their forge and it's like what the heck well those fire bricks are only meant to go to a certain temperature so when you're buying fire bricks make sure you're buying the the right type of fire bricks and as well, the there's a different um, hardnesses of fire bricks that you can get that affect their insulation values as well, which is something that you have to have a good understanding of when it comes to building your forge. Because some people think that the oh well, this is the brick that was available, it'll work for me. Well, I'm sorry, this hard brick that you picked up is not meant to retain heat. It's yeah, it's an insulating brick, but it's going to take forever for it to get up to temperature. And it's also going to eat a lot of fuel in order to keep a temperature. Whereas if you go with the proper brick, which is a very soft brick, it heats up very easily and it also retains its, its heat very well. So there's... Interesting.
0: Uh, so you're almost like a, a blacksmith is also not just a master of metal, but a master of heat. Because like you said, there's different elements of, of uh, fuel, you know, coal, charcoal, propane, things like that. Uh,
1: the... Blacksmith was originally known as a wizard at, uh, you know, the dawn of the ages for a reason The what we did was considered magic being able to put, well, being able to pull metal out of sand, essentially, because, uh, you know, creating a bloomery, creating your own metal, um, and then being able to shape it in fire, being able to take two, two pieces of metal and form them together. You
0: know. It's mind blowing. It really is. It's wizardry. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I'm curious to know. Uh, what kinds of metals you work with because since I've joined that Facebook group, I've seen, you know, especially knives, like knives of different metals. I've seen like a lot of Damascus, I think it's called, um, which has a really, really cool pattern. Um, I'll ask my audience to just go ahead and Google Damascus blades or something and you'll see there's this beautiful kind of aesthetic to them. Um, But like what kind of metals do you usually work with?
1: Well, being what I do in the shop is mostly artistic work. I am mostly mild steel. Uh, I do do work with a bit of stainless. Uh, I work with a lot of copper, brass as well, aluminum. Um, I do actually play a lot with tool steel when it comes to making my own tools because a lot of the tools I have um, require they require a certain level of hardness to them. And you're not going to get that hardness out of your steel using mild steel. There's a, there's special steels that you have to get into playing with. And every type of tool still has its own unique properties to it that you, you have to really understand what it is you're doing with those specific steels in order to get the proper uh, results you're going for. Right. Um, a prime example I can use for that is making hammers. There's two prime tools you need for making a hammer, one which is your hammer eye punch, and the next tool being your hammer eye drift. Um, both I highly recommend making out of H13 because you're going to be doing a lot of hot work with those tools. The hammer eye punch is used to um punch out that center hole on your, on your hammer. Is that where the handle goes? You'll take a solid piece of steel and start punching a hammer. It, it looks like a hammer. Remember I was telling you about the top tools. Well, the hammer I punch is a, uh, is a top tool. It looks like a hammer, but it kind of has like a weird point to it. I, I'd show you, but there's not really any point for the audience here, but <laughs> yeah. do, do you get the gist? It's kind of like a hammer yeah. with a point on the end of it. And you drive that pointed end into the center of the hammer from flipping it from both sides or whatever and eventually that that tool is in that steel for quite a while as you're trying to hammer out that piece of steel it starts squishing the steel together in that point where you're hammering on consistently hammering in that exact same spot it'll take that steel and start to squish it down and create a hole in the middle of that chunk of steel you have and you do it from both sides so that you create an equal size hole and eventually you get to a point where you actually Punch out that squished piece of steel that's left in there. What's barely left of that squished piece of steel punches out and leaves you with a clean hole. While well, all that hot work on that piece of steel, if it was mild steel, you would have a deformed piece of play doh left in your hand. It would be nothing because it could not handle that heat. H13 is a as a steel specifically designed for hot working. uh It can get up to a glowing red temperature and still have a very hard time losing its dimensional shape to it which for a blacksmith making your 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 own tools you couldn't ask for anything better you you're always working with red hot steel it's you know you want something that's holding its shape right but then there's the knife guys and they want to worry about something that has what's called edge retention to it and when you start getting into edge retention uh, something like H13 is not going to have it. You want to start getting into your high, higher carbon steels or you want to get into your alloy steels where you start adding in different uh, alloys into the steel like vanadium and uh, chromium, um, stuff like that. I actually just took some steel in that I had uh, for uh, what's called spectrophoty I th- think I'm saying that wrong it was an x-ray uh analysis essentially yeah yeah Yeah. yeah. and I got the x-ray analysis I got back was a little bit mind-boggling because it said that there was 0.31% iridium in the steel which iridium is a very very rare steel very expensive steel as well and given the part that I know that that steel comes from I was a very very mind-boggled that that was in there but then going into further um, research on that talking to other people that have um background in x-ray they said that because it's an x-ray the x-ray doesn't actually pick up the uh carbon content in the steel and because of that it may have had a misreading and that's why i picked the the iridium yeah. up instead so i'm a little lost on where i met with that steel but that's that, that's kind of a breakdown of yeah, the different types of steel you can be playing with it's it, all over the place.
0: I'm curious to know, are, do you sometimes work with reclaimed steel? So like things like oh, yeah. if I had some like a table made out of steel or whatever, could I then melt it down and create something else with it? Like is that even possible?
1: Well, you wouldn't melt it down per se because um I mean that's uh there's not many guys in the blacksmithing world that are really making their own their own steel. The steel is so readily readily avail, available. Sorry, that you just go buy your own. If you are making steel, then you're doing what's called um, most likely what you're doing is called a uh, woots. Um, shoot, what's the uh, the word for it now? Bloomery a woots bloomery, which okay. is uh, something that a lot of blacksmiths have some interest in nowadays because that's tracing back to the origins of Damascus, which comes from Syria and the real Damascus is completely different than today's day and age Damascus. Um, Today's day and age Damascus is actually um, scientifically more or less referred to as pattern welded steel because it does not even come close to the real world Damascus. The real world Damascus nowadays and being pattern welded because um, the the Damascus steel that came from Syria was essentially uh, due to the uh, content of steel that they had available to them there they um kind of stumbled upon it accidentally essentially is what it was and then there was so there's a, there's a bit of a history to that too because the vikings ended up picking up on that and there's like how the heck did the vikings get this being way up where they were from syria but there happened to be some trade route stuff that uh, is coming into light nowadays that uh, shows how all that worked out but today's day and age damascus is pattern welded steel and what it is is you essentially you're taking a high nickel steel and a high carbon steel and putting them together in layers forge welding them at remember how i was telling you the forge welding temperatures yeah so you're taking those different pieces of steel throwing them into a fire and bringing them up to that forge welding temperature and essentially gluing them together uh, they they glue themselves together. It's the the iron molecules once they reach that temperature attract each other, right? And when you hammer them together, then they become one. And now you're left with two different types of steel in one. And when you do an acid etch, those two different types of steel show an extreme difference because one has um, a metal in it that is very resistant to acid etching and the other one has a metal in it that is very susceptible to acid etching so you do that and it pops out the pattern on you and you're left with what's now known today as Damascus steel that's oh.
0: what that is I was wondering I, I was wondering what was causing all those patterns and then I saw somebody in the Facebook group say oh it's, this knife is ready for its uh, acid wash or acid bath yeah I was like oh wait a minute so it's the acid that actually reveals the pattern so when when you guys are actually doing this this process you have no idea what it's going to look like until you do the the acid wash well or do you You kind of have, you kind of know.
1: You pretty much know because there's different formulas to creating different patterns. You generally, when you first get into it, you kind of go into it going like, I don't know what I'm going to do and it's going to come out, (laughs) but eventually you get to a point where you know exactly what you're going to get out. And then eventually you get to a point where you're playing with those patterns to create exactly what you want. And then you get to a point where you're a master of those patterns and you're doing stuff like uh, well-known knife maker Morecco Mamosi does. And he puts out patterns that are just freaking mind-boggling, man. Really? Oh, yeah. You start playing with stuff. Um, you can get powdered steel. So you start playing with powdered steel and you can put it into can- a canister. Um, you, if you've ever watched Forged in Fire, you'll see they do it. It's a process they've done on Forged in Fire a few times. They're canister Damascus, so you take um, you know ball bearings or whatever, and you throw it into a powder, throw it in the tube, weld up the tube, and then bring up the tube to forge welding temperatures, squish everything together so that everything inside the tube forge welds, and the powder uh, versus whatever other metal you put inside of there will react with each other to give you that different pattern, right? So you do that. And you can do purposeful patterns like creating flags, creating stars, you you name it, man. There's 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 some guys out there that are creating patterns that I don't know, man. Makes them- they,
0: they have a lot of time on their hands to, to make that, that's for sure. <laughs> oh. um, I have to ask you, because I I'd be remiss in, in not asking you because you're a blacksmith, have you ever made a sword? And if so, why not?
1: <laughs> or if not, why not? <laughs> Um. Well, okay. Um. Yes, I've made a sword. It was way before I was ever a blacksmith. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was, I think I was maybe fourteen years old, and me and my friends were goofing around like we did back in the day because I grew up in a small town with nothing better to do. Be played around in the bush all the time, and yeah. yeah but uh, as a blacksmith, no. Um. And to be honest, I'm really not even a knife guy. Um. I've made maybe a handful of knives since I started blacksmithing and the one knife that I've been making. That's like a real knife, not like a, like I, I've made railroad spike knives. I don't call them real knives because they're not, real knives I'm gonna go <laughs> what, what do you call that the, the, they were just talking about this on one of the other podcasts I listened to where you say something just to rile people up yes yeah, yeah
0: you're trolling you're trolling yeah. is what you're doing um I'm sure we'll, we'll get comments on on this uh when I post it in the blacksmith group um but no I mean I guess the, the reason I'm asking again is because I play so many video games you associate a blacksmith to a, a knife maker or a sword maker but like you said you're an artistic guy you make really cool uh you know, I saw you make that uh, Superman poker that you did for somebody. That was really, really neat. Thanks. Um, so, you know, I still maintain that one of my dreams is to get a blacksmith to make me a Conan sword. You know, Conan the Barbarian. Oh, so that's
1: like. <laughs> I mean,
0: what <laughs> are my dreams?
1: I have I have dreams, dreams and aspirations to one day make a sword myself as well. Um, mm-hmm. The skill level is not even close to being there yet. Um, i don't well,
0: know a while eh
1: as far as i'm concerned well it would help if i was making knives and i would be building my skills towards making right. a sword right i think that's um one of the issues is, is i'm not even focusing on that side of blacksmithing and because of that i'm not building those skills whereas right. if i was then you know that day would be coming sooner but mm-hmm. i want i i have my aspirations to be building stuff more like um i want to i'd like to see my artwork on buildings um mm, stuff like like that, a
0: right? artistic door handles kind of things
1: yeah artistic um railings or on railings. balconies stuff like that or maybe a, maybe a statue somewhere eventually one day something that's gonna be there for a long long time right yeah and i mean i'm there is something that's telling me i should be making knives too because knives are one of those things that people get as heirloom uh, items and they pass them down throughout the family for the rest of their lives. So your name name would be around for the rest of that as well. It, it, there's, there's a, a thing that I heard actually the other day that uh, someone dies twice in this world, right? You, you die when you die, but then you die again when someone says your name for the last time. Mm. And it got me thinking that I want my name to be said for a long time. I don't know why, but I, I kind of wanted to be out there.
0: That's really that wow, you're gonna definitely make me think after this recording. But no, it's true. I mean, I um and yet it is it's interesting because I my dad passed me down the knife that they him and his grand or him him and his dad. So my grandfather used to skin, you know, their first moose. Nice. So I have like the, the the family knife, but there's like, there's no name. I don't know who made it. So, you know, that's interesting too, is that you would really have to put your signature on it, obviously. Um, but even with something like a door handle, I can think of, you know, door handles, especially in Europe. They're like they're all like right. carved and there's they're beautiful and like the big wrought iron kind of doors that you grab and and the door knockers, mm-hmm. you know, the beautiful iron or whatever they're made out of door knockers are heavy, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Those are the things that, yeah, those are the kind of things that that do last. Um, I'm curious. We we have about 15 minutes left. I'm curious to know how are things going uh in Canada because you know, the discussion was really interesting when I posted in there. People really felt like Canadians don't value handmade stuff made in Canada.
1: Oh, man. That <laughs> a is a heavy topic. Yeah, that is. It's such an interesting thing that I've been watching my whole life growing up because I've traveled a lot of Canada. Um, and I've always been, my eyes always been open to the art side of things. Um you know, ever since I was a little kid, seeing different blacksmith shops or artisan shops uh, on my travels to British Columbia and as well to the East Coast. And um, it always blew me away that these guys aren't doing better. I, I I never and it was something that my my father-in-law sat me aside about with maybe it was about 20 years ago and sat me down and said, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> there's a reason you're, there's a starving artist, you know, thing out there. Right. And in Canada, it, it's definitely, um, there's not a lot of artists out there that are really making it big. There are some guys out there that definitely are, but it's, yeah. You know, I, I see stuff go on Facebook marketplace, for example, that was obviously a handmade item that if I made it I'd be charging you know a a couple hundred dollars for and this person's selling it for 20 bucks because they don't want it anymore and a way it it breaks my heart to see that because I know the work that went into making that but at the same time I totally understand you know I've actually I've got a piece of piece of art that I made it was back in my college days and I I'm in the middle of cleaning up my house right now because we're, we're moving and I made the decision that you know what? I'm gonna throw this piece out. I've got three others that are very similar to it, and this one just doesn't cut the bill. It's it's going to the scrapyard. And I think that that's par- partially one of the unfortunate sides to art is, you know, it's all in the eye of the beholder. To me, that piece was something that was really special when I made it, but then as years went by, I realized that it's not. And to other people, they may have saw that right away. And then to another person, I might be going to the scrapyard to throw that on. They'll see it and they'll be like, holy crap, that's awesome. Let me have that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so
0: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I, I lived in Montreal for three years and I saw how people in Montreal and Quebec, they value their artists. Oh, my God. Like you can yeah. sell... You can sell so much work in Quebec. Uh, They really, you know, have like a Quebec artisan marketplace um, in old Montreal where you can go buy. Like I used to always do all my Christmas shopping there. It was all made by Quebec artisans. I bought jewelry, lots of jewelry for friends and stuff and family. And, you know, I moved back to Ottawa and I was like oh man, this doesn't exist here. There's like the byword market, but it's not even local people who made the stuff in there. So, you know, there's not a whole lot. And I I don't know, I'm, I'm going to have to talk to more American artisans, but I'm curious to see if it's the same way there. But I think um, part of that, correct me if I'm wrong, part of that is that the people who are buying handmade stuff aren't directly connected to artisans, which is why I'm trying to build this marketplace. Because I see my buddies in tech who are full on hipsters who are paying like 3000 bucks for like a leather pouch you know and i'm like okay these guys need to be connected to these guys <laughs> we got to make the link here because somebody's not talking to somebody here you know
1: well yes and no they're, they're because- buyers right yeah but come on, do us a favor, man. I, so that leather guy that made $3,000 on that poach is stoked.
0: (laughs) Yeah, totally.
1: Totally. totally. It's it's yeah, it's a tough world out there because I see that, you know, and it sucks on another aspect too, because you get guys that come into the knife makers and they're like, why, why the heck is this knife worth a thousand dollars? Like who the heck do you think you're charging a thousand dollars for a knife? You have no idea what into what into yeah. making that knife, and it's uh, it's. And maybe that's
0: part. That's part of the education. Uh, you're the president of the Manitoba Blacksmiths Guild, and and that's something you were telling me before we started recording. Is that you guys are doing going to be doing an education campaign because I think once people get to see the process, you know, like really, oh, this took a thousand hours to create. Then it kind of ups the value. People realize that, oh, yeah, this guy, like, put his blood, sweat, and tears into this, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. Like, with the Manitoba Blacksmith Guild, that's something that we started, what was it, two years ago, about? About two years ago. And it, freaking COVID put a huge block in our progress, unfortunately, but... Uh, there was supposed to be something held coming up this summer called Caner, in Fergus, Ontario, which got canceled. Unfortunately, it was a it was supposed to be an in person event. Uh, it's held every two years, and uh, myself and my colleague Justin Lamro, he's the uh, vice president of the guild. We stepped to the up to the plate and said, "Why, why cancel it?" We did a virtual event for our group uh, about a month ago. Oh, it was in October that we did it now, but at the time it was a month a month ago. And uh, we approached the the committee and said that we were interested in doing it. And they've kind of hand over handed over the reins to us and said, Yeah, let's let's do it, let's make a virtual event. So myself and Justin have been um banging things out for the last few months, trying to figure things out for getting can iron rolling out really well to like, it's again, it's all about the education, right? Um, I'm not doing can iron uh, or we're not doing can iron for personal gain. I mean um, yeah, we're what, what are we going to get from it? Our name's going to get out there. But the real thing about this, the, the whole reason I'm the president of the Manitoba Blacksmith Guild is I want to see more people get involved in it. And I want that education to be available to people. It's something, there is, there is something here in Manitoba but, Manitoba, but there's not enough. And since we started the group, I think we're at like 300 members now online or something like that. We've got awesome. 60 paid members in the group. And uh, I, I honestly feel like we're doing our what we can. We can. There's always more you can do, but we're doing what we can with what we've got available to us right now. And Canada and coming forward, hopefully, is going to open up that window, like you were saying, to even more people, Canada-wide. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting event with uh, demonstrators from all over the world. That we've got people from nice. down in the United States right now listed for demonstrations. Um, and we're working on some Canadian guys as well. And I've got my eyes on a gentleman from uh, Sweden. And Justin has his eyes on a gentleman from South Africa. So,
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, we'll see where I... Uh, That's we're a really good
0: opportunity. Out. Awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. We're, yeah, we're also well, doing monthly ones as well with just the group too. So, yeah. Cool.
0: Cool. We'll put uh, I'll 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 message you after this uh, recording, but we'll put links at the bottom in the show notes so that people can actually access all these things online. Um we have a few minutes left. I would love to use uh, the that time to talk to you about Lego because I know that you are <laughs> <I love>
1: Lego. <laughs> yeah, yes. me too. We nice. we have to
0: talk about Lego for like <laughs> we've got like 5 minutes, but um you've been playing since you were a kid too, huh?
1: Uh, It's probably one of the first toys I ever remember getting as a kid. Uh, I think I got, uh, it was a castle kit or maybe it was a, uh, I know I got a castle kit and a starship kind of thing or whatever around the same time when I was about four years old and it was a tumbleweed effect from there forward.
0: <laughs> and do you still build um, like kits or?
1: Oh yeah. Um, I kind of had it put away for a few years because it was just, didn't really have the space to do it. And the time didn't really seem to be there either. But I have a, like I said, I have a five-year-old daughter now and she loves Lego almost more than I do. She's uh we told her that we've got to pack away the table for getting our house ready to sell. And uh, that was the one thing when she was like, no,
0: I play with that <laughs> every day though. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. I wanted to, to mention it because I got back into Lego, I think at the beginning of the pandemic. I think, I can't remember, but I was like, I, you know, I was like, why don't I play with Lego? I'm like, I'm 44, but I don't care. Like, you know, so I, I bought a few Lego kits and then I, I went on Kijiji and I bought like old vintage ones. Nice. that this guy yeah. was getting rid of his whole collection. Oh, and I was sick. like, all the cool like spaceship things that nice. don't exist anymore. Yeah, um, And <laughs> My girlfriend always laughs because whenever I buy a new kit, I throw out the instructions. I don't want to see them. I actually buy kits for parts so I can yeah. make up new new stuff. Yeah. You know? Totally. Is that how you build too, or do you usually like follow the instructions?
1: Um I've always followed the instructions for the initial build, build it once, and then after I built it once, then it becomes parts for sure yes yeah and yes. one of my favorite things has always been to try to build like the, the ultimate piece from all yes. the lego that i've got right like the biggest castle i can build or at one time i had an entire village like the wizard shop the blacksmith shop the castle the the freaking uh stables you named it i was pretty much trying to create my own little medieval village and then waged war on it with catapults and <laughs> yeah it was good times
0: Oh my God. That's the kind of stuff I want to make. I just, I uh, need more space and I need more bricks. And I, I actually found a website where you can actually order bricks by the part. Oh, cool. So, cause I love building things like spaceships and jets. I, I don't know why I'm just obsessed. Um, and I was like looking for like little jet parts that I didn't have. And then I found a website and I'm like, what the fuck? You can actually order these like separately you know, these little parts.
1: Holy shit. You just be me I don't think I swore once just this, during this interview. I know.
0: What and the I'm the hell, one who man. actually dropped the F-bomb. <laughs> a, yeah. uh,
1: I felt comfortable what with you. Hell? I felt comfortable doing you know, it. No, for sure. Sh- dude, man, what the hell? I can't believe I'm I swore know. once. My my daddy uh, daddy mind must be in set right now or something. I don't know, dude. <laughs> Sorry. Normally, nor- normally, normally, people can't handle the, the amount of swears that come out of my mouth. I, I did good. It's...
0: It's funny because you and I were talking earlier and and most of my my podcast recordings and most of my podcast guests are not people who I don't think would swear on air. You know, um, they they tend to work in academic settings or they work in the arts and, you know, they might not um, have the trucker mouth that I do, but um, I always have to hold back. And then when we right before we started recording, uh, Lando was like, what happens if I swear? And I was like, oh, okay. actually, you know what, dude, we're totally good to go. So (laughs) no it's been um listen it's been an absolute pleasure i'm I'm really yeah. thrilled um I feel lucky that that the the blacksmith community is um is so heartwarming and kind and open to sharing um both their gripes and their loves you know like i really feel like i got a good right. sense for what it's like i feel like the work that you're doing uh you and a colleague developed smith list we'll put the the, the link up for that oh thank you because that's um that's a really cool national um directory of, of canadian blacksmiths yeah and... if, I'm
1: not, if i'm not mistaken we actually kind we made the decision not that long ago to open up internationally
0: Oh, good.
1: Yeah. Do so, it, please. Yeah, I think it yeah, is. I yeah, think it has that's... been opened up internationally. So anyone around the world can list their blacksmith shop, their blade, bladesmith shop, um, supply shop. Uh, if you have workshops going on, classes going on, you can list it on the website. There's a map to there so that when you go onto the website, you can see on the map where everything is happening it's it's a beautiful shop uh, my uh, a friend of mine, Lauren Wanamaker. He's the gentleman that was behind creating that website and wow it's an amazing, I, I brought him the idea two days later he had that website built. Nice. I could, beautiful yeah yeah
0: beautiful. Um, yeah, so thanks for coming on the show and uh, like I said we're gonna put all the links so that people can follow you and uh, maybe even buy your work and uh, we'll be we'll be in touch again soon for sure.
1: Thanks a lot and that was so fun. Thank
0: you. Uh, Excellent.